Hi, I'm Michael G. Williams, and welcome to Social Distancing Radio. I'm a novelist, and a reader and friend of mine asked if I would record myself reading one of my novels as something they would find comforting and familiar in the midst of the uncertainty and anxiety of the COVID-19 pandemic. I'll be reading to you from Perishables, the first book in my five-book urban fantasy and vampire series, The Withrow Chronicles, published by Falstaff Books, aka FalstaffBooks.com. If you'd like to pick up a copy for yourself, head over to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y, slash Perishables link. That goes to Amazon. Thanks. All right, y'all. Let's see if this version of experimenting with the audio works better than it did last time. Um, welcome to episode 16 of Social Distancing Radio, part the second installment, I should say, of part three of Perishables, The Doorbusters. And like I said yesterday, let me know what you think of the idea of having other writers come on once or twice a month to do public domain radio. And I'll give that some thought. We'll see how that goes. I think that'll be a lot of fun. And a lot of writers are hurting right now because a lot of like the small time writers like me and a lot of like bigger time writers like many of my writer friends for whom writing is their whole job, uh, which is kind of a dream and terrifying. Um, like they're not able to go to cons, they're not able to sell books in person. That's how a lot of us find new readers and they could definitely use the opportunity. So anything I can do to help my community of colleagues. Anyway, let's jump into the second installment of part three of The Doorbusters. Or sorry, part three of Perishables, The Doorbusters. By a quarter of midnight, everyone in line had gotten a chit if there were one to be had. There were a bunch of people who left at that point, not having gotten there in time to have a serious chance at the thing they wanted. But there were 40 or 50 of us who were absolutely going through those doors with our tickets to shop, clutched in our respective fists. For that intervening half hour, there was a woman a few yards back who talked continuously on her mobile phone, barely stopping to breathe, generating a near constant stream of consciousness centered entirely on how she was going to get one of those goddamn highly defined televisions, and how, and I do quote from memory, Nobody had better get in her way because she was going to get one of them TVs. If it killed her to get it, she would hurt people if she had to because she had not set up shop in front of that store for two days just to have Hank not get his Christmas present. I mean, Jesus did not die on the cross so that people could have lousy Christmases. Isn't that what Christmas is about anyway? But you know nobody wants to say Merry Christmas anymore. It's just Happy Holidays and everyone knows Happy Holidays is Jewish for fuck you. I kept balling up my right fist and then unclenching it again throughout her litany of stupid. I wanted to put that phone so far inside her the phone company would have to hire a surgeon, but there was no such luck. Not this close to cheap Blu-ray o'clock, anyway. I'd already been riding the hoodoo go-round pretty hard with this crowd, and I decided waxing this one obnoxious twit and then trying one more mind trick on the whole gang might just be pushing my luck. Instead... I bit the insides of my own cheeks every time she drew another breath. As you know, my hearing is very good. 
and I realized abruptly that I had no idea what the person on the other end of the phone call sounded like and, in fact, hadn't heard them breathe in some time, despite my ears having no problem with the... With, blah, 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 blah. Let me say that again. As you know, my hearing is very good, and I realized abruptly that I had no idea what the person on the other end of the phone call sounded like and, in fact, hadn't heard them breathe in some time, despite my ears having no problem with all the electronic distortion and intervening space between me, that woman, and the other end of her telephonic connection. She was talking to a handset someone had sat down and walked away from, and she didn't know or didn't care. It probably happened all the time. It didn't make me hate her any less, but it did make me smile. Enough people asked the manager how he would know it was midnight that he had to publicly declare that he would be using his cellular phone as the official clock and there was some grumbling because a few people preferred their own slightly fast-running watches and the like. He stuck to his guns and I said fairly loudly that it sounded reasonable. It wasn't like any of us had to rush home for dinner and for some reason people processed that as a joke and a few of them even laughed at it despite it not being funny at all. Humans are weird animals. Any one of them might be Einstein, but you get 50 people in one big herd, and they turn into sheep, or they turn into wolves, and it's a toss-up which way they'll go every single time. Either way, no two people are as smart as any one, and the curve seems to be geometric from there as the number increases. At midnight, most of the staff disappeared inside before the manager made something of a show of opening the doors and gesturing for us to enter. Those of us at the front tried to balance on the knife's edge between polite forward motion and running full tilt for whatever precious thing we were there to obtain. I was content to mosey. We had tickets to shop. What was the point of rushing? But that slag with the phone started trying to rush forward. She elbowed a little old lady on her way through the crowd, and when phone lady got to me, I couldn't resist the impulse to bite back in some fashion. I did this arms out wobbling double step dancing pantomime of lost balance that I've used a hundred thousand times to trip up prey. The toe of my boot wound up on top of her ankle and it took the tiniest push to send her toppling over in a heap in the middle of the sidewalk. To be honest, I'm not really sure why I did it other than reflexive annoyance at having to listen to her bullshit for an eternity beforehand. Later I tried to convince myself that I was doing it for everyone else too as secondhand revenge for all the people who no doubt loathed her to their very core after two days and nights of that constant yammering. But the truth was that it was all me. I didn't like her and so I tried to hurt her because sometimes that's what I do to people I don't like. She went down screeching into her phone and then, very shortly, into nothing but air when the phone flew out of her hand on impact and skittered across the sidewalk in front of the store between the feet of countless strangers and out onto the asphalt. The crowd behind her got a little tangled up and people bounced off one another. I kept moving, smiles by my side, and didn't stop to turn around until I was completely through the doors on the basis that the last thing one should do when assaulting someone as I had just done was to make a big show sticking around to see what happens. By the time I let myself look back, phone lady was beetling, on her back, limbs waving, helpless, and shrieking at the top of her lungs. A young fellow behind her in line reached down and tried to take her hand to help her up, but the woman was so lost to surprise or self-interest or the absence of her precious phone that she misunderstood and started screaming even louder. Masher! Masher! Help! She was hysterical and immediately started fighting back against the kid's attempt to resist. I wondered how long she'd been in line and whether she'd gotten anything decent to eat. Maybe she had forgotten to bring her meds with her. Maybe she was insane to begin with. Maybe there had never been anyone on the other end of that phone call in the first place. Some 
atrophied emotional muscle twitched in imitation of something I might on reflection have classified as guilt. And I hesitated. I wondered if maybe I should go help her up. She was a lot less likely to break my arm than she seemed to be the kid's, who for his part was starting to look a little scared at the ferocity of her response to his act of goodwill. I opened my mouth to say something across the gap of the double-doored airlock entrance when, much to my and the kid's and everyone else's surprise, the lady's other hand came up out of some pocket somewhere with an oversized spray can. It let out a sharp pop when her fingers scrabbled across the top of it, and a cloud of something white and glittering exploded into the air around all of them, but especially into the face of the kid at whom she must have pointed it. Everything froze in place for half of a heartbeat before the kid's mouth opened and his eyes closed. Something, some sound, came out of him that sounded like strangled death. It was a scream, and then it was a shriek, and then it was... I don't even know what it was. It was a squeal, shading into a whistle, and then the air ran out, but he looked like he was still trying, still digging around down there in his chest cavity for one last bit of breath to push out. Smile's ears twitched, and he started to growl. A few people standing around fell over coffin, and a couple more, arms over their faces, ran around the splayed forms of the two surprised combatants and through the doors of the store. Store employee Jennifer was standing by the door on the inside of the giant airlock. She was quick on her toes and had slammed a big red button on the wall, hidden from sight by one of those anti-shoplifting scanner things, so that the external and internal doors of the store slammed shut in a flash. With her other hand, she produced a phone. Something about the anguish on that kid's face held me transfixed. I don't enjoy needless suffering, but something about that guy's pain was hypnotizing. He was just some kid of maybe 25 years. Skinny, Asian, crew cut, wearing one of those puffy winter jackets and girl jeans like the kids these days seem to prefer. He was cute and he wanted to help and now he looked like something was trying to turn him inside out. I think I was waiting to hear him scream again just so I'd know he'd drawn another breath. But it kept not happening. The phone lady was screaming too, caught in the cloud of her own making. I had to figure it was pepper spray or something, one that had malfunctioned, but the can was way too big to be pepper spray unless she bought it in bulk. That bad boy was economy size or nothing at all. The can itself fell out of her hand and rolled towards us, banging off the outer front door of the store, and my eyes zeroed in on it. The label was in Russian, a language I thought it might be useful to study during the long decades of the Cold War. My spoken Russian is pretty much useless, but I can read it very well. The label read in the dense text typical of Soviet military goods, Self-Defense Caustic Spray for Deployment in Crowd Control Scenarios. Attention, do not use without protective gear. There was a date, but it was in the old Soviet fashion, mixed into a coded string that included the lot and the factory number. The important part was the number in the middle, the year of manufacture, and it read 77. The lady had just tried to use a 35-year-old incapacitating aerosol grenade, common back in the day, and it still is in certain situations, like a can of pepper spray. A part of me idly wondered whether it was maybe some outdated Colacol 1 or a mix of MPK and tear gas or just straight pepper spray or what, because the rest of me 
was still transfixed in horror as the skin on the lady and the kid visibly blistered. Christ Almighty, she'd deployed a chemical weapon. Smiles' growl had held steady and his whole body was poised to spring, even though there were two doors and ten feet between them and us. Jennifer snapped her phone shut with obvious annoyance and said to no one, Stupid big box stores, I can never get a signal in here. She tapped me on the shoulder. Sir, she said, did you get sprayed? Are you okay? I blinked and tore my eyes away from that kid. He and the woman were still frozen in place in a rictus of agony, utterly unmoving, and shook my head. I cleared my throat to speak. Uh, no, no, I, I'm fine. I paused, and then I remembered the polite thing to say. Are you all right? She waved that off. I'm fine. Just, I don't know. I guess go get whatever you came here to buy. Someone can ring you up while we call 911 and try to clear up all this idiocy. She gestured exhaustedly in the direction of the outside in the front of the store, and so she and I both looked out there again. The kid and phone lady were both standing now, which was a relief for the half a second it took to process the looks on their faces. Wide eyes, wider mouths, and hands that clutched at nothing as their gaze jerked back and forth, wild and random, and with a look that made me think of nothing so much as one night a few years ago at a meeting in my neighborhood association's executive board. I reflexively drew a short breath and then cut it off. I worked my jaw for a moment before saying, Yeah, shopping. I'll go do that. I looked sidelong at Jennifer and couldn't help but notice that she looked frightened, yes, but that her jaw had set with surprising certainty. Yeah, she said, never looking at me, her voice as smooth as a steel beam. You do that. I turned away from her and from the doors and that horrifying sight outside, away from the memories of all those houses in my neighborhood where I'd gone and knocked and found them empty, away from the memories of the ones I'd found that were still dangerously occupied. And I ran directly towards the back of the store, past the big displays of television sets and Blu-ray players, and off towards the two sections I thought might have something useful in this situation. Sporting goods and garden tools. Smiles was never more than three feet away, his little cape flapping absurdly as he ran. And that is the second installment of Perishables Part 3, The Doorbusters. Talk to y'all soon. Lord, y'all are going to hear my email from work ding a million times. Thanks for listening. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. The theme music is Plucked Contemporary Boom by Kara Square, available under a Creative Commons Attribution license at ccmixter.org.